Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Brian Lehrer on WNYC. We'll follow up now on something from Governor Hochul's budget address last week. It's about the challenges New York State faces from the growing cost of Medicaid. It's an issue because so many New Yorkers lack private health insurance and qualify for the various parts of Medicaid, which is government health insurance for people with low enough incomes for the most part. But as the population ages, that's more and more people, and health care costs per each person keep going up in Medicaid as in the private sector. Medicaid is a big share of the total state budget. We'll get into specifics. New York also has among the highest per person Medicaid tabs of any state. The governor says the most of any state. There are some other ways to look at those numbers, but it's near the top. So we'll get two views on this. First, though, here's a minute of the governor from that speech. Our Medicaid spending exceeded our projections this year by $1.5 billion. Let me explain how it happened. First, 200,000 more people than anticipated remained on state-funded Medicaid after the federal government ended their supplemental pandemic support. Maintaining the coverage for these previously unenrolled residents now costs the state an additional $400 million annually. On top of that, to make matters worse, the state is still awaiting repayment of a $1.5 billion one-time bridge loan made to financially distressed hospitals, which actually are about one-third of the hospitals in the state. It was all intended to keep them afloat while they're waiting for their federal disbursement. Helped them out. We've been left hanging. Governor Hochul last week. And with us now, Bill Hammond, Senior Fellow for Health Policy at the Conservative-Leaning Empire Center, and Elizabeth Benjamin, Vice President of Health Initiatives at the Progressive-Leaning Community Service Society and co-founder of their Healthcare for All New York campaign. Bill and Elizabeth, always good to have both of you. Welcome back to WNYC. Hi, Brian. Thank you. Can we start with some basic numbers? If the overall New York State budget bill is about $230 billion. How much of that is for Medicaid? Um, Well, so the tricky thing with Medicaid is that it's uh, more than half of it comes from the federal government. I believe that $233 billion includes the federal aid. So uh, Medicaid is just south of $100 billion, including federal aid. So you're, you're saying that around $100 billion out of a $230 billion state budget is spent on one thing, That's health insurance. Yeah. Well, and that doesn't include, there's, there are other smaller programs, the Essential Plan, Child Health Plus, um, that, would, that would increase it a little bit. But it, yeah, Not it's much. in the neighborhood the essential of $100 plans. billion. Dollars. The essential plan's free, essentially free for New York State. So that's that's offset by the federal government, right, Bill? Right, but but the numbers we're using include federal aid. So, but I, I, but I, it, I, so is it is it the biggest single thing in the budget? Yeah, it's it's one of the two biggest things. Education. Usually, we look at it 
uh, from the point of view of just the state share of spending. And when you do that, education, I think, edges out yeah. Medicaid, but it's gotten close in recent years. And and yeah, it's, it depends how you slice it. But it's it, Medicaid and, and healthcare are essentially, you know, even with each other, and they are heads and shoulders above everything else. Healthcare and education, yeah, and heads yes. and shoulders above everything else. Uh, so, Elizabeth, is this an unusual percentage of a state budget going for well, low-income healthcare? I just want to get, like, maybe the facts a little better out there. It's about 25, according to the governor's budget charts, it's 25% of the state budget. Um, school aid's 27%. Other assistance and grants is 21%. And executive 15 percent and then a lot of little dinky things so it's you know that's if you take the federal piece out of it i guess right yeah i think so so just let's i just yeah i think it would be helpful to have better right so clearer, that's clearer facts <laughs> yeah so there you know it's a little wonky it depends if you're looking yeah. at total expenditures or total expenditures that the state raises right. itself so but, but i would argue that that's a great investment for new york state and that medicaid's a really important thing and that it, you know we should be proud of this investment um and i don't think new york is so unusual compared to other states when, when you look at you know in comparison to california massachusetts and whatnot so staying with you, Elizabeth, how do benefits for New Yorkers on Medicaid compare to what people in other states get? What's important there? Well, um, we so New York, the New York State Medicaid program is really important. It provides um, coverage, you know, comprehensive coverage to folks. It prevents people from going into medical debt. Um, we don't our our private health insurance, which I guess would be the alternative, and I'm sure Bill will talk about why we should invest in that instead. You know, is the most expensive in the nation. So, and you know, we it's great that we offer Medicaid because it's affordable. People don't go into medical debt, um, and uh, we should be proud of that fact that we have a robust program. And it was there for us, for example when we had the coronavirus pandemic and unemployment shot to 16%, people lost their jobs, Medicaid was there and it acted exactly as the safety net it should have been, was. And so it, it it's, it's doing the right thing for folks. Uh, and Bill, on what you do advocate, she mentioned maybe you're gonna advocate privatizing Medicaid to some degree. I see you were scheduled to testify at a hearing on this topic in the legislature yesterday as they're trying to figure out what they're really going to allocate. Um, you sent us your prepared remarks. Did you actually get to speak? Yes. Yeah, for a few minutes. So I'm not here to dispute that Medicaid is important. I absolutely agree it's important. It's the most important thing the state does. Um, it's responsible for the health care and, and in, in some ways the entire lives of um, a lot of people who are severely disabled or uh, who are indigent and can't possibly pay for their own health care. Um, what, what I was reacting to with my testimony is that the yesterday's hearing was kind of a litany of different groups coming forward and saying, Medicaid is underfunded. You're not spending enough on this area. You're not spending enough on that area. We're desperately short of cash. You absolutely have to increase it this year. And we're also desperately short of labor. We, we, can't, we can't hire enough people. And my point was, if you step back and you look at the big picture, New York 
the U.S. spends more on healthcare than any other country, and New York spends more on healthcare generally, public and private, than any other state. So New York might be the best-funded healthcare system there is in the world, and and yet nobody's content with it. Um, and in fact, I don't think they should be content with it. Our hospital quality ratings are quite poor, and there is a litany of different dysfunctional situations in our healthcare system. And what I wanted the legislature to think about is how can that be? How can it be that we are we have the best funded healthcare system? We also have more employees than any other state who work in healthcare. How can that be that we're 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 getting so little results for our investment? And and so Elizabeth, I wonder your take on that as an advocate of quality healthcare for all. I'm going to read a little from Bill's prepared remarks for the legislature. He said, if money were the answer, New York's healthcare system would already be the envy of the world. But then he goes on to say, yet New York's hospitals consistently rank near the bottom of quality report cards. Its emergency room wait times are among the longest in the country. Lawsuits by the attorney general have exposed widespread neglect and profiteering in its nursing homes and goes on from there. So what would you pick up on from that? Well, I actually, this is where Bill and I, I think, kind of rapidly agree with each other. Why are we paying so much in our quality indicators for, especially in hospital uh, quality of care indicators are so rotten. And um, and I think there's, you know, the original sin here happened 30 years ago. Uh, 30 years ago, we had a hospital rate setting system that where the state said, okay, and this is what Switzerland does, right? With, with their private insurance national health program, the New York State Department of Health set the rates for commercial Medicaid, you know, all payer rate system. And that was very helpful. We had a stable healthcare system. We had 75,000 beds. Um, in the Pataki administration, uh, there was a lot of pressure to get rid of that rate setting system that was successful. And so as a result, we've lost about a third of our bed capacity. We now only have 50,000 beds um, with highly dis uh, and many of which are in hospitals that are highly distressed. And then we have like this handful of super overfunded, well-heeled hospitals because they can they in this private market, private insurance where the insurance companies are supposed to negotiate rates, basically pay nothing to our safety net hospitals and pay the moon to our private hospitals. So we have this profound disequity um, among our hospital system, which is just resulting in terrible quality of care. And I do, so number one, I would say deregulation has not served us well because on top of that, we're also paying the most for our private insurance plan. So it's not like, mm. you know, insurance isn't even doing what it's supposed to do, which is drive down costs. In fact, our costs are up the, out the window as, as Bill just so eloquently pointed out. So it isn't, you know, insurance isn't doing what it's supposed to do. We have terrible quality. And um, by the way, we also have terrible transparency. We don't even know how the cost and our spending is really occurring in hospitals. You know, we can look at their 990 tax filings two years later and try to guess. We have a really out of date Sparks data set that we can look at that's five years old. But unlike many, many other states, smaller and bigger, we don't even have a functional all payer claims database so we can really do any kind of meaningful analysis. 
uh, um, at the individualized hospital level. So I think New York can do better in this area. And I, and I really love working with Bill um, mm-hmm. to maybe figure out ways that we can. And we can um, get a few phone calls in here in in our last minute. Anybody have a story to tell? Uh, if you're on Medicaid, you want to talk about your own satisfaction with the program, uh, or anybody who wants to be a budget wonk and talk about you know what it is and the implications for how it's growing, 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. I, I want to pick up on another thing from, Bill, your testimony to the legislature yesterday on one particular big expense for Medicaid. You said New York's Medicaid program spends almost as much on personal care as the other 49 states combined. What's personal care, as you refer to it there? So it's a a subgroup of home care, and it refers to the non-medical portion of home care. This is supports for people who are disabled living at home, um, such as help with getting in and out of bed, uh, bathing, dressing, eating, shopping, even some um, house cleaning. It's it's uh, an area where I don't, again, I would not dispute that this is something, an appropriate thing for New York to be spending money on. My What I highlight is that we seem to have bottomless demand for this service, which um, probably relates to the program design. It relates to how we decide who qualifies for it, both in terms of their medical need and also their financial need. I think we've made it too easy to qualify. And we've also allowed, I I think there's a certain amount of fraud in the program, which I don't think we're doing enough to police for, but um, it's, it's extremely high. I think a lot of the legislators who look at this, they say, well, we have an aging population. Of course, this expense is going up. Um, I, um, Our over 65 population increased by 13% between, I think it was 2015 and 2020. In that same period, our home care spending increased five times faster than that. Mm. Uh, So So I don't think it's, it's, it's a question of just demographics. I think it's program design and, and um, organizations taking advantage of that design. And but Elizabeth, just, I'm curious. Yeah, go ahead. No, just go ahead. Okay. I just want to, you know, note that, um, you know, on a per capita basis, we still we have the tenth cheapest program, Medicaid program, and uh, sorry, that the tenth most expensive, like the lead t- from the most expensive to the, you know, tenth. We rank number ten. So we're not, you know, paying too much on Medicaid. We do have an older population. There's no evidence of fraud in the um, personal care program that I've seen. I haven't seen one report on that. But more importantly, what's the alternative? I mean, the idea of keeping people in their homes is good. We don't want people to go into nursing homes. I mean, only 9% of our nursing homes get the top ranking. So I think, I mean, I guess I just have a different vision. I want a world where we keep our older um, residents in their homes safely. Um, It's certainly cheaper to provide personal care than to put people into a nursing home, um, you know, on if short of, you know, 24 hour split shift care, that actually is more expensive. But, 
you know, I want to I want to live in a world where we keep our older residents and people with disabilities in the community and don't um, secrete them away in, you know, what are not very, yeah. you know, happy nursing so, homes on many, many cases, many occasions. So and this it's also is a actually, good form of employment for low wage workers, by the way. So it's also a, a job sector that's that's important to support. This is another area where I'm puzzled by something because I've been told since I started paying attention to healthcare that home care was about keeping people out of nursing homes. But New York's nursing home population proportionally is higher than average. So it doesn't seem like it's working that way. It's, and in fact, you will hear people in the disabled community will say there are people languishing in nursing homes because they can't get home care. Uh, so. It's, a, it's another case where the policy doesn't seem to be working as intended, where if, if, if we spend so much on home care compared to other states, and yet we still have a larger than average nursing home population, who are we giving that home care to? We're, we're not reaching What's the What's the answer? Who, it doesn't well, make I think people, it, there's we also have a larger population of people with disabilities than other states, and we have a we do have a larger population of older people. Uh, I think, I mean, I'm not, I don't know of anybody that's going to salsa classes and getting personal care. I mean, I think, Bill, you're, 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 I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be, I mean, it just doesn't, I don't think there's any evidence that there's all these super healthy people having personal care attendants coming in and, you know, doing maid service. That isn't what's going on. In fact, it's really hard to get personal care. You have to do an assessment with an independent agency. You have to get a health insurance company to authorize it. It's, it's, this is, this is not, they're not passing it out like candy corn at Halloween here. I mean, I just, I, I feel like we have all these checks and balances in our systems. And in fact, my agency represents lots of play, people who are, are being denied hours and having hours of personal care, constantly having to fight to get enough to stay safely in the home. All right. I don't think you're going to agree on that point. No, maybe not. Um, <laughs> Sorry, no. And let me get a couple of callers in here before we run out of time. So many people, once I put out the invitation, have called in with stories and thoughts. Charles in Manhattan, you're on WNYC. Hi, Charles. Brian, it's been a while. I, thanks for this program. Um, you know, when you're a certain age, you get a lot of calls when you have Medicaid, regular Medicaid. And people call you all the time trying to get you to take Medicaid plus, Medicaid this, Medicaid that. I just stick with the regular Medicaid because uh, the doctors have told me that their co-pays can be more money. The other thing is when you are of a certain age like I am, you get calls almost every day to take Medicaid, this, Medicaid, that. And then also find out that the hospitals, when they know you have Medicaid, if they're hurting the hospitals, will give you these bogus appointments, uh, like where you, you, you get an appointment over the phone that you didn't ask for, so you have to call back and say, I didn't ask for that. Mm. And then you just have to be, uh, it's a great thing, you have to be aware of it, uh, of the things that can happen uh, and, and how vulnerable you can be. And Medicaid is a great thing. I hope we keep it because even people that work want regular Medicaid these days because the insurance is much better and it's, it's a great show. And that's all I wanted to say. Charles, Thanks. thank you very much. Michael in East Northport, you're on WNYC. Hi, Michael. Hello. Um, I am an uh, orthotist and, and I am a provider of Medicaid for, you know, mostly for children and uh, we accept managed care, which is Medicaid managed care. And the issue that we're having is that some of the managed care companies' codes, uh, what 
their payables for codes are are 30 to 40, 40% below Medicaid rates. And sometimes we can't even provide the actual device that the patient needs because those codes are actually so low beside, below the Medicaid uh, fee schedule. And I'm just wondering what's being done to monitor these HMOs and how they're spending or how they're holding back uh, the money from the providers that should actually be going to caring for the patients. Elizabeth, want to take that? I do. And I think the first caller might, because he kept saying he was of a certain age, might have been referring to the Medicare program. So I just want to clarify that. I really love the question from the second caller because I absolutely agree with him. We, When you look at the statistics, looking at our Medicaid program and what we're paying for, you know, we pay the most for specialty care, which means hospital-based care, and we're paying much less than other states for primary care. And I, if I, you know, was in charge of, you know, surveillance at the at the State Department of Health, I would really look closely at the Medicaid managed care. We we as a state, you know, 30 years ago decided to put our entire Medicaid program into Medicaid managed care plans, these HMOs. I would look really closely at how they're spending our money because we do we do trust them to um, spend that money wisely. And I and I would put I would submit that we aren't spending it as well as we should. Um, you know, other states like California. Really are spending like 70% of Medicare for all of their Medicaid product pro- programs, like all services, primary care, obstetric care, and other services. Whereas New York is only spending 40% of Medicare on primary care, like this gentleman who's in a community-based clinic. And we really should be spending much more on primary care and um, really kind of regulating how that spend is. We don't want the HMOs to be shorting community-based clinics and then paying top dollar for hospitals. So that's, I agree with him, the caller. One more, Sarah and Seacliff, you're on WNYC. Hi, Sarah. Hi, um, I'm calling um, from perspective of both in terms of Medicaid and uh, marketplace. I was on Medicaid during the pandemic and then recently, you know, I no longer qualified, so shifted back. And Medicaid was the best health care I've ever had. It was all of my doctors. I could still go to them. I didn't have to hop around and find other primary care doctors mid-year. And um, I didn't have all the paperwork from the ACA. It was it's matching everything up. And and then now that I'm back. And when you say um, the ACA, just let me be clear to listeners, that's the Obamacare or Affordable Health Care Act, uh, Affordable Care Act, private marketplace. So now you're not on New York State um, Medicaid program anymore. You're buying your insurance on the private market, and you're finding that the insurers flip around who's who's uh, in their networks, and so you have to change doctors and things like that, right? That's what you're saying, well, Sarah? And, yes, and furthermore, the the rates I paid on the, it, the, it's through New York State of Health Marketplace, but it's the qualified plan, and before the pandemic, I was paying maybe 480, 500 a month uh, for health insurance, and now when I went back, it was up to almost six, 680, and then they just increased the rates $100 per yeah. month, January 1. And, and Sarah, I'm going to leave it there because we're running out of time, but it actually relates to a segment that we did recently about how the Affordable Care Act is becoming less affordable for a lot of people 
Um, and so the comparison with Medicaid, which served Sarah well, is interesting. Of course, you have to have a low enough income to qualify for Medicaid. Uh, so, Bill, give us a last thought on where we go from here, and then, Elizabeth, you too. So, one, we do have the highest commercial insurance premiums in the country, and our, that applies to the Obamacare plans as well. And one big reason for that is that New York State taxes health insurance and pretty pretty substantial taxes typical new yorker probably pays several hundred to a thousand dollars a year in these taxes either directly or through their employer and those taxes are primarily used to finance medicaid so we're making commercial insurance more expensive than it has to be to pay for the health care of other people i I don't think that's the right way to, to finance Medicaid. I also don't think it's the right way to handle health insurance policy. I do think the state could do could change policies in ways that would make commercial insurance less expensive and and more accessible. Elizabeth. Well, um, the health insurance taxes are, I think, around together between covered lives assessment and um, the HICRA taxes, I think, are around 9% of a premium. And other states do similar taxes to support uncompensated care. And um, and I do not believe the HICRA pool actually really funds that much in Medicaid, maybe a little bit of our state share. But going back to the caller, I just want to make sure that she um, definitely looked into seeing if she was eligible for financial for financial assistance because under the um, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, people pretty high up on the income ladder are eligible for financial aid. And if you want help just making sure that you're getting all the financial assistance you're eligible for on the marketplace, please call. I'm doing a plug for our organization. Our, our organization, 888-614-5400, we would be delighted to help you make sure you're getting all the financial assistance you are, in fact, eligible for. And I just want to thank you so much for letting me be on the show again. It was just lovely to talk to you both. It's always good to have both of you. Elizabeth Benjamin, Vice President of Health Initiatives at the Progressive Leaning Community Service Society and co-founder of the Healthcare for All New York campaign, and Bill Hammond, Senior Fellow for Health Policy at the more conservative-leaning Empire Center Think Tank. Thank you both so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.